Hey, we're so happy you found us online. The message you're about to hear was recorded live at Grace Family Church. We're a community following the call to love God, love people, and make a difference. We meet at four locations around Durban and at graceonline.tv. Go ahead and share this message, or you can download it and listen to it in your car or at home later today. Wherever you are in the world, wherever you're listening from, thank you for connecting with us. And may you be encouraged by the message coming up next.
courageous, who is showing up just as they are without shame, without being ashamed of their past or their scars or their struggles. But the question for us is, how do we live like that? How do we live with, without carrying around the baggage and the burdens of previous relationships, of worries and of struggles? How do we live in a way where, where we can show up as we are and know that we are worthy of being loved? Most of us have something that we're hiding away from ourselves or the people that we love or even God. And we present ourselves as flawless and we, we pretend like everything is fine, but deep down inside, we know that there's something missing. And I think this song captures the heart of people, and maybe that's the first time you've actually seen those lyrics up there. Because there's a voice here that is shameless and selfless and free. But how do we get there? How do we end up living there? How do we go from being ashamed and hiding to without shame? How do we move from selfishness and loneliness and isolation to living in deep connection with those around us? How do we move from being afraid to being free? And the truth is, the naked truth, the bare bones at the heart of all our relationships is that we are either living with a lie in our hearts or the truth in our hearts. And whatever is sitting in there is shaping and forming all of our relationships. And so for the next few weeks, we're doing this series called The Naked Truth. Asking ourselves the question, if you stripped everything back, if you took away all the layers, what would be at the core of us? Because that core is flavoring and affecting our everyday lives. And so today, we're going to explore the naked truth about shame. And I don't mean like, oh, shame, you know, England lost the rugby. <laughs> that's not the shame I'm talking about. I'm not even talking about the, oh, shame, you know, that's Jess. She's the one who got sick on stage <laughs> two weeks ago. And if you guys were in the, the, the 915 service two weeks ago, you would have literally witnessed me getting sick on the stage. It was very special. I walked off with Katie afterwards. Well, it's more like I crawled off. And I was on my hands and knees back there. And I looked up at her and I said, did I just vomit in a sermon? She said, yes. And we both burst out laughing. Now, you're probably feeling really sorry for me right now, but that's not the shame that I'm speaking of. Brene Brown describes shame like this. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Shame makes us believe we are so messed up, we are so flawed, we are so broken, that we are not worthy of love and belonging. And very often, at the root of our relationship struggles and of our patterns and cycles and habits, if we drill down, we'll find this icky, 
squirmy, a little bit uncomfortable in your seat right now word, shame. So what I'd like you to do, what I'd like to invite you to do as we journey through this morning together, is in the back of your head to think of a relational struggle that you're facing. A person, a pattern, a problem. Keep that in the back of your mind and let's see what truth we can uncover about what is sometimes buried underneath lots of layers. Now, shame is very different to guilt. So to start off, I want to explain the difference between shame and guilt. So guilt is what we feel when we've done something wrong. Guilt is what we feel when we've made a mistake. Guilt is what I feel when I've eaten an entire tub of KFC chicken on my own. I feel guilty because I have done something very wrong. <laughs> and what happens when we feel bad about something that we've done, and this is a funny thing about the emotion guilt, is that often it catalyzes us to do something about it. So if I eat a tub of KFC and then I feel guilty, then I would probably go to the gym the next morning and decide not to buy myself an ice cream to reward myself for going to the gym. Okay. Now the difference between guilt and shame is shame is what we feel when we believe we are something wrong. If guilt is I did something wrong, shame is there's something wrong with me. Guilt is, oh, I made a mistake. Shame is, oh, I am a mistake. Shame is what I feel when I eat an entire tub of KFC on my own and I say, Jess, you are a worthless idiot. Why did you do this? So then I eat a whole tub of ice cream on my own and then I think, what is the matter with you? And I just go to the fridge and I get a pack of ham out and I eat that by myself standing in front of the fridge <laughs> because I am not worthy of love and belonging. That's shame. Now these are very hypothetical situations. None of them have ever happened. Um, and I'm sure there's no one here who can relate to that feeling of I'll never be good enough. See, shame is that little voice that says, who do you think you are? Shame is that little voice whispering in your ear, you'll never be good enough, no matter how hard you try. Shame is this dark, insidious voice that says, you know what, if they knew, if they really knew, they wouldn't love you. And shame, unlike guilt, shame cripples us. Shame makes us go into hiding. Shame actually freezes us up and locks us in. Now, these ideas that I'm sharing with you today are not just psychological theory and drawn from research, and they are, but we also find them in the first two chapters of the Bible. The story of God starts with God saying, we need to talk about this thing called shame and what is going on in your life. And we're going to go to this beautiful Hebrew poetry that describes the original design for things how God intended human beings to live and to flourish. Now, you may not be a Christian or a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're kind of skeptical about the Bible, and I understand that. And maybe you're just feeling cautiously curious about this whole church thing. And so I, I kind of want to say thank you for, for letting us share with you where we're coming from this morning. And, and you may not even know me and think, why should I take this woman's you know, teachings at face value? But I want to invite you to take that problem that you thought of originally and just see if something 
from here resonate. See if there isn't some truth that connects for you and what doors that might open. But for those of you who do know the Bible, who are familiar with a lot of the Bible stories, what was the first bad thing that happened in Scripture? Was it when Cain killed his brother Abel? No. Was it when Adam and Eve gave in to temptation? No. The first bad thing that happened in Scripture is found in Genesis 2, verse 18, long before the apple and the tree and the snake, and it's when God says this, it's not good for the man to be alone. The first problem that shows up for humanity is loneliness. God sees humanity and he says it is not good for the man to be alone. The first bad thing that shows up in the story of God and people is disconnection, isolation. It wasn't meant to be like that. And so to rectify this problem, God says this, God spoke, let us make human beings in our image. Can you hear the togetherness there? Us and our. Make them reflecting our nature. God created human beings. He created them God-like, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge, be responsible for the fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. The way that things were meant to be was there was always meant to be connection between humanity and God, community amongst people, and a purpose, something to get up and do every day. And then in Genesis 2, we hear the same story repeated with more detail from a different perspective. And, and God describes this meeting between humanity and what that is meant to look like, what engagements, interactions between people, what relationships should be like. The man said, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, name her woman, for she was made from man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, what this Hebrew poet is describing to us is everything we need to flourish. Here is a picture of God's original design for humanity, that we would have a name, we'd know who we are, that we would have a purpose, there's a reason for us to get up in the mornings, and that we would have relationships. Most of the relational issues most of our identity problems and our struggles in life happen when we don't know who we are, we don't know why we're here, and we don't know who we're meant to be doing life with. When those things get messed up, it affects our day-to-day -day relationships and family. So what, what's described here in Genesis is connection with God. Every single human being was meant to reflect God's nature. That means every single one of you, every single person, is an image bearer of God. There is worthiness there. There is value there. There is dignity there. That's how things were meant to be. We were, like that song says, for we are glorious. We are glorious because we reflect the image of God. 
what is described here in Genesis is connection with each other. And this relationship between Adam and Eve, this metaphor for all human relationships, is that they are one. That they are side by side, joined at the hip in partnership with one another. That there would be a physical and emotional and spiritual connection between them. And then God says, prosper, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible. There's connection with our divine purpose, a reason to get up in the morning. So here's that picture. And then this is one of my favorite scriptures because this is the hope. This is the hope for all of us. Genesis 2 verse 20, the two of them, the man and his wife, were naked but felt no shame. Can you see it right there? The plan was no shame. No hiding. No, I'm not good enough. No, I'm not worthy. No isolation and loneliness and disconnection. The plan was no shame. So where did it come from? What went wrong? Genesis explains to us where this, this little voice saying, who do you think you are? comes from. Genesis explains to us why we actually get a little bit uncomfortable when we talk about these things in church. Why when we talk about relationships or sexuality or identity, we all kind of, well, I don't want to talk about that. This is why. Because when Adam and, Adam and Eve chose their way over God's way, God said, here's a good way. Here's my design. And they said, we want to do it this way, rather. Something happened, and this is how it's described immediately. The two of them did see what's really going on. They saw themselves naked. Suddenly, there's vulnerability. Suddenly, there's exposure. They sewed fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for one another. And for the first time, we see the man and the woman hiding themselves, their true selves, from each other. Now they're covering up who they are. When they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the tree of the garden, hid from God, and we have been doing that ever since. Hiding from God. Don't let him see, don't let him know. God called to the man, where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid. Suddenly, from going from a wholehearted confidence, here I am, God, here you are, there's nothing between us, Suddenly, going from being vulnerable and in relationship and walking with God, we see humanity hiding, ashamed, blaming one another, and utterly disconnected. And we know what that feels like. We know what that feels like. If you don't know, I'm about to tell this story. <laughs> so literally, a couple days ago, um, we have a, a, gra a little granny flat in our garden, and um, we have a young tenant there. She's in her 20s, and she had a friend over. And as they, sorry, babe, and as they are walking past our front door, Tom drops his pants to get in the shower. And he is standing naked and unashamed while they walk through the garden. And everyone is like, they're like, ah! Our kids are like, no, dad! Tom's like, sorry, 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 sorry. He runs to the bathroom. I've got my head out the window where our poor tenant is getting into her car. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. 
so much shame in the Busan house that day. We know what it feels like to feel like suddenly you're exposed. Well, maybe you don't, but Tom does. But I suspect if you think about that relational struggle that you're experiencing, if maybe you think about some of the patterns in your past, some of the conversations that you keep having with that friend or that colleague or your child, even the dialogue in your own head, you'll find shame at the bottom of it. Because shame is what makes us keep quiet about the abuse or the pain. Shame is what makes us hide that thing that we don't want anyone to know about, but it's always lurking in the background. Shame is what makes us cheat or lie or numb, run away. Shame is there for every single one of us and it has been since Adam and Eve found themselves in the garden with a little whisper saying, who do you think you are to show up to God? You'll never be enough. You better hide because if people know who you really are, you better cover up. And so what do we do with it? How do we live shameless, selfless, and free? What is the naked truth about our identity and our relationships and our family life? How do we get rid of shame? Well, the antidote to shame is empathy. The antidote to shame is empathy. Now, let me explain to you what empathy means. Here's the difference. Just like we saw the difference between guilt and shame, here's the difference between empathy and sympathy. Sympathy is when we feel sorry for someone. Sympathy is when we look over there at their problems and we think, ooh, shame. <laughs> Do you see what's happening? I wonder what they did to deserve that. Sympathy is when we feel pity and, and, and we feel sorry for someone. And we all know sympathy sucks. Have you ever said to someone, like, oh, you know, my kid is so sick at the moment. And they're like, well, at least you have a kid. <laughs> and you're like, thanks, you know. Or you might say, you know, I'm really having a tough time with my, with my husband. Oh, well, at least you have a marriage. At least you got married. Sympathy is, at least you have this. Yeah. It's silver lining people's problems. And it actually makes us even more disconnected. Sympathy does nothing to get rid of shame. Yeah. If anything, it just makes us pretend everything is fine. But empathy, empathy is when we put ourselves in someone else's shoes. Empathy is when we say to, to someone, you know what, I see what you're going through. I see your perspective on the matter. Empathy is non-judgmental because we are actually sharing with someone and experiencing what they've experienced. This is what empathy sounds like. Oh, me too. I get it, I, I struggle with that as well. Connection, shame disappears. Empathy is, you're not alone. This is so hard. I don't know what it's like to experience that, but I do know what loss feels like. I'm so sorry. That's empathy. Empathy is, you know what, I don't know why this is happen, happening. It sucks. And I can see you're really struggling. That's empathy. 
Empathy is a big me too and you're not alone. I was thinking back a few years ago, I was at a baby shower and it was incredibly awkward and actually I was feeling so much shame because I was sitting next to a friend of mine who couldn't have a baby. And there we were, and everyone, this, this, this pregnant lady was unwrapping all her presents and ooing on. Everyone's talking about babies and birth and child raising. And I'm sitting next to this girl, and I know they can't have kids. And it was really awkward because I had just had a baby. And we're sitting there, and there's this unspoken tension between us. And, um, and I felt like we needed to address the elephant in the room. Um, not, the, not the pregnant lady, the, she's not the elephant, that was a, the, the, the big, big fat shame elephant sitting between us, making both of us kind of avoid conversation with each other, really, because that's what shame will do, you'll avoid the conversation with the person. And then I, I don't, it was the grace of God, I turned to her and I said, my friend, how are these things for you? How are baby showers for you? And she looked at me with relief in her eyes and she said, oh, Jess, they are so hard. They are so hard. I, I only come if I've got the energy for it. And I know my friends are excited, but it's so painful. And I just listened and we just spoke and she turned to me after our conversation and said, you know, no one's ever asked me that before. And we hugged and we just had this moment of friendship and connection because when there is shame that is making us hide and avoid and numb and look the other way, empathy brings us back into relationship and connection again. Empathy is the antidote to shame. And Paul the Apostle, who is one of Jesus' followers, who wrote, who unpacked the life of Jesus and described what it would look like for those who followed him in great detail, he writes this in Galatians 6. He writes a beautiful description of empathy. He says, live creatively, friends. He's saying, come on, think about this. Don't just roll with the shame storm. Think about a different way of doing things. If someone falls into sin, if someone makes a mistake, forgivingly restore them, saving your critical comments for yourself. That's empathy. When someone messes up, you don't come in and go like, oh, well, you knew that was coming. You go, oh, wow, this, how do I forgivingly restore you? You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. <laughs> Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Man, if someone's in a shame pit where you can see they're struggling, Paul says, get down there with them. Get into their shoes. Go to their level. Don't sit up on your thing and, and give them sympathy and feel sorry for them. Share their burdens. And so complete Christ's law. Christ's law was love one another. If you think you're too good for that, you are badly deceived. The antidote to shame is to forgive when we'd rather resent. The antidote to shame is to keep our critical comments and to share instead our own experiences of struggle. The antidote to shame is instead of is to stoop down instead of looking down on someone. It's to reach out instead of shut out. The antidote to shame is to share their burdens instead of adding to their burdens. It's to humble ourselves. Does it remind you of someone else we know? You see, Jesus, Jesus was the greatest living example of empathy the world has ever seen. I want to tell you, some eyewitness accounts of what Jesus did and how he lived. And if you're not a Christian and you've ever wondered what's the big deal about Jesus, 
It's because when people saw how Jesus treated others, they felt empathy. They felt connection. They felt like, here's someone who's walked in my shoes, who gets it, who knows me, who understands what life is like. Imagine meeting someone who did these things that Jesus did. Jesus, the one who turned away the self-righteous men who wanted to stone a woman who'd been sexually assaulted. And he responds to her with non-judgment. Jesus, the one who sees the crooked, corrupt, white-collar criminal called Zacchaeus and goes and instead of shunning him and shaming him and calling him out, has a meal with him in his house. Jesus, the one who touches the mentally ill person that everyone else is repulsed by and has rejected. Jesus, who weeps with his friends whose brother has died, even though he knows he's going to raise their brother from the dead. Jesus knows the future reality, yet he still chooses to show empathy and cry with them because that is their present reality. Jesus, who sits on the ground with the ordinary questioning workers and gathers around a table with the intellectual academic elites and sees them for who they really are looks past their behavior and their social status and listens and recognizes the image of God in every single person. Jesus was the one who stepped into the shoes of humanity, who saw the disconnection between us and God, who saw the disconnection we're feeling amongst ourselves, who saw how we've lost our purpose, in our way and so he comes and he steps into our shoes and for 33 years Jesus experienced every single human experience of joy and of suffering and of loneliness and of community and of physical fatigue and of despair and then Jesus embodies every single human being's lived experiences by dying on the cross by carrying the weight of the world, not on, on his shoulders, but in his soul. Because when Jesus died, he didn't just experience disconnection from his family and his friends who were standing around him. He actually, because he was God, experienced himself being ripped apart. He knew what it was like to lose who you really are. And then the power of Jesus. Jesus restores connection once and for all for every single one of us because he rises from this deathly disconnection, the ultimate isolation, the ultimate loneliness. Jesus takes it, puts it in its place and steps into wholeness. It says you can do that and this with me too. See, the naked, sometimes ugly truth is that underneath our histories and our parenting and our financial decisions and our marriages and our reputations, underneath it is shame. It's flavoring everything that comes to the surface. But Jesus came to deal with that shame, to tell that little voice that says you're not good enough to silence it. 
when the little voice says to us, you're not worthy of love and belonging, Jesus proves that voice wrong. And this is the invitation that God extends to us to come out of hiding, to show up and say, this is me. These are my scars. These are the bad decisions I've made. These are the things that were done to me. These are the things that happened to me that I had no control over God. And God says, looks at all that and says, you are worthy of love and belonging. I have a name for you. I have a purpose for you. I have connection for you. Come out of hiding. So the way that we are going to express that today is through communion. Communion is just another word for connection, commune, community, together, oneness. And when we identify with Jesus, putting shame to death, we identify with Jesus, restoring life and wholeness back to how it was meant to be. And when we eat and we drink, we remember that those things are true and that we can identify with Jesus. So Katie and her team are gonna sing a song to us, inviting us to come out of hiding and respond to the love of God. And while they do that, you can make your way to one of the many little tables around the room and in your own time and in your own way to drink that wine and eat that bread and remind yourself that you were worthy, that you were loved, and that Jesus is with you, in you, and for you. God, as we remind ourselves of the great lengths you would go to to overcome connection, shame. There is no room for that rejection and that hurt and that pain, but instead we step into a place of forgiveness and grace and kindness and mercy and the things that give us hope that we can indeed be loved and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond to this invitation together.
everyone to close their eyes as a way of just kind of bringing your attention in to what's going on in your heart and your head as a way of listening to to what God might be whispering to you this morning are you done with shame are you done with hiding running and blaming ready to step into that place of worthiness and love because God is so ready to give it to you this morning. 
that's you, I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer with me in your own hearts. You can repeat it after me, your own words, but mark this moment. Jesus, I'm done with shame. I want your freedom and your love. So today I say yes. I'm home. I will follow you out of hiding and into the light. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. about it and ask them now what do I do take a next step you can come up to the front there's one more thing I want to do before we finish and I'm going to ask you all to stand with me because I want to pray for those who need relational healing I want to pray for those of us who are still in shame because of the things that have been done or said or have happened to us or the things that we've done or said or have done to others so let's pray. God, you see it all and you love us still. You see, you've seen what we've done, what we failed to do, and you love us still. And as we acknowledge that, God, we pray that through the power of your presence, through the awareness of you, Jesus, there would be freedom, there would be a new start, and there would be healing in this place this morning. Holy Spirit, lead us into forgiveness. Lead us into mercy and kindness and grace. Give us a capacity that we just don't have on our own. Bring your healing power to those marriages, to those relationships, to those parents and children, to those friends, to those who carry bitterness and unforgiveness. Set us free in your name, Jesus. We thank you. We can confidently ask you these things because of who you are and what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like someone to pray with you, please come to the front. Otherwise, have a great week and we'll see you next week.